Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And today's topic is modern Christians. Just within the last five minutes, I posted a new webpage on our Preparing You website called Modern Christians. And if you're on the livingnetwork.org, in other words, if you've joined the Living Network, which is what you do when you go to the livingnetwork.org, It'll probably transfer you to a page on preparingyou.com. And you can select and become a member of that network by joining one of the local email groups. When I say local, it's statewide. You know, California, Nevada are together, and Oregon and Washington and Idaho are together. And so those are people who live in those states join those networks, and then we try to put them in contact with each other so that they can form congregations of record so that they can seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's not about just being on an email group. It's actually about seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and we want to do that because that's what Christ told us to do. He told us to repent and do that. And most Christians haven't got a clue what that looks like. (laughs) The kingdom of God was at hand. You know, people say, oh, well, you know, the Jews are, they have this promise and the church is something else and and all this stuff. It doesn't hold up with what Jesus said. Jesus was really clear about what he said. He says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. Talking to who? The Jews, the Pharisees. At least those Jews who were Pharisees. I mean, he was also talking to the apostles. And he said to you, the little flock, it is my pleasure to appoint unto you a kingdom. Those were Jews too. Those were all citizens of Judea. He was going to take the kingdom away from one group of Jews, citizens of Judea. That's what I mean when I say Jews, because the word has changed in its definition over the years. And he was going to point it to another group of Jews, citizens of Judea, called the apostles, the little flock. And they were going to have to take on the responsibility of the government of the Pharisees. But they were going to have to do it righteously, according to the ways of Christ. And eventually, those guys began to be called Christians. But originally, what they were doing was called the way, because they were actually doing something. They weren't just believing in Jesus. They were actually doing what Yeshua told them to do, which was to love one another. And love was an action word, which meant they actually had to take care of one another. When they visited the sick... They actually took care of the sick. They didn't bring by a card and some flowers and say, Hi, how are you doing? I hope everything's okay with you. And now I'm going to go on to my next parishioner who's in the hospital at the government's expense. And I'm going to visit him too because I visit the sick. 
I don't pay for anything. I just visit them. See, the early Christians were actually taking care of them. Why? Because they couldn't go to the men who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority one over the other. Because Christ said it was not to be that way with you. That's what he said. He took the kingdom away from the Pharisees because they were taking care of the needy through forced contributions. John the Baptist said this. They asked him about his baptism. Why were they asking him about his baptism? They knew what baptism was all about. They'd been baptizing people in Judea for years. Herod was baptizing people. He sent ministers all over the Roman Empire to baptize people into the kingdom of God. That's right. Herod was doing that with his ministers, his pharisaical and Sadducee ministers. They were baptizing people into the kingdom of heaven, and their scribes would write down their name, and they would have to contribute. It was a small amount at first, you know, just a couple percentage points of your, of your uh, offerings to the government that went into the government building called the temple, which Herod built, and went into a treasury. That was sometimes called the Gastaphone, but there was also another treasury called the Corbin. Or at least there was another thing called Corbin that they called the treasury. The Corbin was supposed to take care of the needy and free will offerings. But Herod made it a compulsory offering. He forced the sacrifice of the people, just like Saul had done hundreds and hundreds and years before. And Samuel had said that it was a foolish thing that he had done, but he did it anyway. He forced a sacrifice to take care of the military. Now they were forcing sacrifice to take care of the needy. Both are wrong. Both are contrary to the ways of God. They aren't contrary to the ways of Cain. Cain had every right to go out of the presence of God and do his thing. He was wrong in doing so. He was sinning when he did so. He was cutting himself off from the grace of God when he chose to do that sin. But you have a right to sin. It's called choice. And God gave you that choice. Not without consequences. There's going to be serious consequences if you choose to go the way of sin, the way of Cain, the way of Nimrod, the way of Pharaoh, the way of Caesar, the way of the Pharisees, the way of Herod. If you go that way, there's going to be consequences. But you have a right to choose to go that way. It's stupid. But you got the right to be stupid. <laughs> so, anyway... A lot of the Jews, the citizens of Judea, a government, were going that way. And John the Baptist was going another way. So he was offering another baptism. And they said, John, how does this work? And John told them how it worked. You got to share. You got two coats and your neighbor doesn't have any share. Do the same with meats. Do the same with the needy, do with the sick, with the elderly, with the old and the infirm and the widows and the orphans. Do the same. Take care of them with free will offerings. That's what Moses said. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul said. That's what Peter said. 
Don't be coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who call themselves benefactors. Who are these men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other? One of them comes to mind right off the top of my head. FDR. FDR was going to be a benefactor to all the people of the United States. He's going to take care of the needy with social welfare. Now, he wasn't the first. Public education is social welfare. Yeah, public education is socialism. It's public charity. It's not real charity. Public charity, when it's forced by ministers who exercise authority, it's no longer charity. I'm sorry. That's not charity. That's trying to establish the kingdom of the world by force. Forcing the contributions of the people. I mean, you've done it for so long, you can't even imagine a society that operated by love. You, you can't even imagine it. See, you think love is sitting in your pew thinking nice thoughts about the guy sitting next to you. Not so. That's not love. That's just nice thoughts. Love is an action word. Requires action. Requires you to be a doer of the word. To love one another. Christ didn't just sit back at home and love people. He went out and actually took care of the needy. And he did it with the Spirit of God in him so that actually he could come up and just touch them and they were healed. And a lot of the early Christian ministers could do that. They didn't have to get everybody jumping around and and, and singing and, and get everybody all excited up and, and lay hands on them. He just... I mean, Peter was healing people with his shadow. You see all that gyration and jumping around? That's probably the devil. He's, he's a big one for jumping around and gyrating. Peter was healing people just because they fell under his shadow. You know, one of the first martyrs of Christianity was a dentist. Yeah, it was a dentist. And he he was working on people's teeth. They had dentists back then, you know that? They actually had a medical society back then. It had this funny little symbol, you know, with this staff and a snake wrapped around it and it kind of curled up and everything. That was their symbol back then in Rome. And their headquarters was in a town called Bergamot. And there was a dentist in that town. Now, he wasn't a doctor. He was a dentist. So he... He couldn't practice medicine without a license from the guys that had that little squiggly thing, you know, on the stick. That little serpent on the stick kind of thing. But he he could work on their teeth. But a funny thing happened, you know, when he was working on their teeth and they had other ailments, they got better. You know, because in order to work on the teeth, he had to lay hands on them and he had to kind of lean over them. And he, he was a compassionate man, but he was a Christian. He was actually doing what Christ said. He was living by faith. He, he wasn't applying to the benefactors who exercise authority anymore for his benefits. If he needed help, he would go to church. And he would apply to the ministers that Christ appointed a kingdom to. And that kingdom operated by faith, hope, and church. It was one of the only kingdoms around that we know of generally in history, although there were actually other people around who were still doing this. 
they were far up in the north woods, and, and they were out towards the east in a few places. Rome didn't talk much about them, and you know, actually kind of strayed away from them. Occasionally they would invade some of those northern tribes, but they were they were still doing this. But you wouldn't know about that because, you know, nobody wants to teach you that kind of stuff in history class because you might actually figure out what Christ was talking about, and they don't want you to do that because then you might actually start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, righteousness, and you might actually become something other than human resources, something other than collateral for debt. You know, you might... You might be approaching the kingdom and seeking it and striving for it and loving one another. You can't have that. You can't control people who are like that. You can control people who, you know, pray to you for benefits, you know. So that's what they've always done. Nimrod did it. He was a mighty provider instead of the Lord. And we talk about that on articles. But we won't get into all that because we're going to talk about modern Christians. Now, when you see me write modern Christians, I don't always do this. I've actually had a lot of trouble typing lately because I broke my thumb the other day. Somebody asked me, what what are you doing for it? Nothing. (laughs) It it broke pretty good. I mean, it was bent over kind of like an L at first, but then it straightened out pretty quick. And thumbnail was all black. I thought for sure I'd lose it. But, you know, I wrapped it in comfrey leaves. Somebody said you should wrap it because that's a bone knitter. Well, actually, it's a blood thinner, too. And I wrapped it in comfrey leaves, and I'm not going to lose that nail. actually got color back into it. And the thumb's hardly even discolored now. It's still, you can see a few gashes in it and stuff, but it actually kind of works. I'm not climbing ladders with it very much anymore, although I did climb up on the gas tank with it the other day. But it's still pretty sensitive to pain, but it's working. And I don't hear it doing that, you know, that crackly noise anymore when you, when I tried to bend. <laughs> so I guess the bones are knitting. But I think that comfrey leaves, they actually helped. But I didn't go to a doctor because I don't have health care. You know, I don't have health insurance. I have to actually have faith, you know. But anyway, this, this dentist in Bergamon, people were getting healed. And a lot of people started just going to the dentist because they were having better results getting healed at the dentist than they were by going to the doctors. I mean, he had lineups outside. It was just ridiculous. I mean, he didn't even have to charge anybody anymore. People would pay him just because they were so thankful for getting healed. Now, everybody didn't get healed. But those who had faith got healed. Because that's what Christ always said, you know, your faith has saved you. If you don't have faith, you don't get healed. You know, it's like if you don't have repentance, you don't get forgiven. You you got to forgive in order to be forgiven. Christ said that. I didn't make it up. I mean, he said, <laughs> if you don't forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. Period. That's it. I'm sorry. I don't care if Christ died. You're not forgiven. He died that you might be saved, but <laughs> if you're not going to forgive others... And, you know, when he talks about this forgiving, you know, I think it's down in Mark that he talks about this forgiving. He talks about forgiving debt. You see, people give in to these systems of Corbin, these social welfare systems like the one started by Herod. You know, it was it was called Corbin. I mean, always the sacrifice. That's what the word Corbin means, the sacrifice. Your contributions, your sacrifices back in the days of the Levite 
were to help the needy of your society. That was how you took care of the needy. You gave it to the priest, and the priest had the funds and the wherewithal and the, you know, the oil and the sheep and the meat and, and everything he needed. He could sell that sheep. If you gave him a hundred sheep, he may not be able to eat a hundred sheep. And then, then he's got to go and get them to graze and he's got to feed them hay in the wintertime. And so he just sells them and eats what he needs and eats what he needs to share with the widows and orphans and, and, and why do we call it widows and orphans? Because they don't have any family to take care of them. So the family of the congregation takes care of them through the Levite. This is what they were doing. They weren't just out there killing animals and burning them up on piles of stone. They were actually creating a social welfare system based on free will offerings. And this bound the whole nation together under the perfect law of liberty. Where everybody gets to choose who they're going to be their titular leaders. The, the Levite of their choice. But you don't do that anymore. You, you go in like Herod was doing. You followed the schemes of Herod. You signed up with FDR and all the subsequent gods that have followed FDR. And they, did I say gods? Oh yeah, well they are gods. And we'll talk about that later. The Apotheos. I mean, you, you go go look up the Capitol Dome picture on the U.S. government website. It says the president was raised to the rank of God. That's what it says, rank of God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. You didn't read that? <laughs> well, certainly. But anyway, I have a great article coming out on that, and we're still working on it along with a bunch of other things to release and we'll release them first on newsviews.com but then we're going to release them on our own websites and we'll we'll do more shows on them and we'll include recordings eventually with those articles so that you know you can chew on this we want you to understand the gospel of the kingdom we don't want you just to go you know well, yeah, I believe that, and now I'll go off and do whatever I was doing before, and nothing will really change in my life, but uh, I thought I was entertaining. Boy, I never knew that. That's not going to do you any good. You've got to actually change. If you don't change your ways to the ways of Christ, you're in a lot of trouble. But anyway, this is what we're going to talk about. I had this long conversation on Facebook with somebody who I've known for years, actually a couple of people I've known and they're not half bad people. They're pretty good people. One of them in particular is remarkably charitable. I mean, you wouldn't believe the stuff that she's done. But she's still part of that strong delusion. She's not far from the kingdom. But her pastor needs to tell the whole gospel. You know, because I think she'd go that way if she heard it. But... You know, this strong delusion has snuck in and crept into our thinking, and, and it's going to take some repentance. You know, and, and the fellow who I was talking to, I think he'd, he'd actually maybe even go towards the kingdom too. I mean, I don't know. God knows. He's always been kind of a fanatic about everything he tries. You know, once he gets into it, you can't hardly hold him back. But he's got to get into it based on faith and not this delusionary Christianity, this do nothing, just think a thought and believe, and just keep saying, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe, and then you're saved. You actually have to be a doer of the word. 
And you have to have the whole word. He's, he's just constantly quoting Paul. You know, I quote Christ and he quotes Paul. Paul wasn't preaching a different gospel than Christ. Paul says he was preaching the gospel of Christ. You're just taking Paul out of the context of Paul. And therefore, you're taking Paul out of the context of Christ. Paul's not hard to understand once you know a little bit more about history and language. He's hard to understand if you go to these modern seminary pastors who've been taught the same strong delusion that has swallowed up all of Christianity into becoming modern Christians that have more in common with the Pharisees than they have with Christ or the early church. The early church, when they were visiting the poor, they weren't just saying, you know, how are you? Here's a card. Here's a, here's a little, some flowers I brought. They were actually taking care of them like that guy from Bergamot, that dentist from Bergamot. They were laying on hands and they were getting healed. That's happening today. But it, it's, there's also a counterfeit. There's always a counterfeit. And and this is where Christ comes and talks about, you know, those workers of iniquity who think they're doing things in the name of Christ, but they're actually acting iniquitously. And how how does that work? And that's what we're going to be talking about. And we've just spent a half hour getting on the subject. <laughs> and you can read more at hisholychurch.org. And we got a new article on religion and a new article on faith, and and we even talk about jury nullification and another article that's all part of this, that word you use type stuff. You keep using that word. It does not mean what you think it means. They're changing the definitions of the words. They change the definition of religion. You can just go back. We've got dictionaries 200 years ago. You can go read them. And we've changed the definition of the word religion from 200 years ago, and we changed it again 100 years ago. And now we've changed it completely again. And so when you say religion, you don't know what you're talking about, at least in comparison to the way they meant it 200 years ago. Well, you go back 2,000 years ago to the time of Christ, they had done the same thing. The Pharisees had their definition of religion, and the Christians had their definition of religion. Both of those religions meant how you took care of the needy of your society. The Pharisees did it by force. The Christians did it by charity, which we call love. The word charity and love, they're the same words in the Greek. They just, when Paul says it, they translate it charity. When Christ says it, they translate it love. The same thing. But we're going to talk more about this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're going to shake your tree. Get you out of that tree of knowledge and into the tree of life. God bless you. Be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're talking about modern Christians, or at least we're getting in that direction. The modern Christian is often seen doing daily what those early Christians were persecuted and even killed or uh, for not doing. Uh, and we'll also cover that. And we do cover some of that in our articles on that word you use. Uh, uh, we started off with religion and faith. And, and we're, we'll be going into detail. We'll even include some of the transcripts from some of the trials of the uh, and comments by uh, rulers of the time about 
what the problem was with Christians. What the Christians were dying for. Why they were being persecuted. Modern Christians do at the drop of a hat. Because they wouldn't do it. The early Christians wouldn't do what modern Christians are doing. So modern Christians, my euphemism for the guys who profess the name of Christ, but are actually those workers of iniquity. Especially when I capitalize that word modern. I'm not just saying Christians of our time. I'm talking about modern Christians, which are not real Christians. They're fake Christians, apostate Christians. They may have a genuine desire to follow Christ, but their dang pastors are not telling them the truth. We've got these pastors who've crept in and are telling them lies and are, are leading them away with the, the silly women and the silly men too with false Christianity because they're not telling them the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God, they aren't telling them the truth. And that's what we're trying to do. And we have to come at this a little iconoclastically. And we have to come at this uh, rebuking you. And rebuking them, because we love them. As many as we love, we also rebuke. That's what it says. That's what we're supposed to be doing. If you're off the path, I'm supposed to say, hey, you're off the path. Get back on the path. But many of them haven't even repented yet. Repenting is turning around. It's not being sorry for your sins. It's repenting. It's turning around and going the other way. If the prodigal son, if he was just sorry he left his father's house, he'd still be in the pig mire. But he didn't just feel bad about it. He turned around and went back to his father's house to be a servant. you got to do the same or the father's not going to be able to run out and meet you halfway. Because you haven't repented. That's why you're told to repent. Turn around. Go the other way. And so, now you need a pastor to tell you what's the other way. You need to know what the other way is. Following in this conversation on Facebook, and and the whole thing, not, well, not the whole thing, a lot of it is posted now under this Modern Christians uh, heading on our preparingyou.com website. And the reason we have this website is that it's constructed by the people. It's not constructed by us. And you put other links in there. We got health links and uh, all kinds of resources, you know, I mean, how to restore your teeth uh, uh, so that you don't have to go to the dentist. And if you do go to a dentist, we, we're trying to also create this network so you can find the dentist that was at Bergamot. Why was that dentist at Bergamot eventually uh, uh, put to death? Because he was a Christian? Because he was practicing medicine without a license. That's what he was accused of. People were going to him because they were sick, not because they had bad teeth. But they were getting healed if they had faith. And the doctors didn't like that. Pharmaceutical, that's a Greek word. (laughs) Pharmaceutical industry didn't start in the 1950s. It started... Thousands of years before Christ. I mean, the Hippocratic Oath is 600 years old. And you know, one of the things I always thought was interesting in the Hippocratic Oath is that the end of it says, if you're going to be a doctor, you could give no pessary. 
And I thought, you know, and this I love it when they use these words pessary, like what's a pessary? <laughs> so I, I, of course, now being the jughead that I am, I went and looked it up. Pessary is an abortive substance. <laughs> if you're going to be a doctor and take the Hippocratic oath, I don't even know if they do it anymore. You can't give anybody a prescription for RU486 or any other abortive substance. You can't do You couldn't be a doctor with a Hippocratic oath and perform an abortion. That's 600 years before Christ. I'm not making it up. But the interesting, why did he include that in the Hippocratic Oath? Because they were performing abortions, 600 A.D. They were performing abortions back in uh, Egypt, giving abortive substances to you, giving things that, pessaries that would cause you to abort your child, to cast out your fetuses. This is the way you go when you go in the opposite way. Christ said, the the prophets said, the apostles said. This is what's going to happen to your society if you get entangled again with the elements of the world and return to the bondage of the world. What was that? When were you in bondage? In Egypt? How do you know they were in bondage in Egypt? Because they had to pay 20% of everything they earned into the government. And all the gold and silver belonged to the government. They did let you have some in circulation, but it wasn't can't be circulated as money. It's still the law today. Because you're all entangled again in the elements of the world and the bondage of the world. And the reason why is because you haven't been going the way of Jesus Christ. You haven't repented yet. So we're going to take a look at what I said on Facebook. I copied most of it over and put it on this page because one of the fellows, uh, we'll call him Bob. That's not the name he goes by, but there's two people involved in this. Actually, three. One is Steve. He started the whole thing. And Bob posted his post. And then somebody else came in on it, and we'll call her Beth. And it's kind of alliteration, Bob and Beth. So anyway, um, Steve post, posted this thing on uh, sin. And he says, following this conversation on Facebook, that started with the idea that sin separates man from God. But all sin is the same. Sin is sin. And Jesus Christ died for all of our sins. The remedy for sin is believing the gospel of the grace of God. Jesus paid for every sin. Well, he paid the price for every sin. He died that you might be saved. But if he died that you might be saved, you might not be saved if you are not forgiving and repentant. If you continue to go and sin, because you like sin, and you intend to keep on going sinning, <laughs> go on sinning, then you ain't forgiven. If you don't forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. Period. Jesus said it. Write it down. Remember it. When you say our sins, you got to be one of those repentant souls who are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But if your pastor hasn't told you what righteousness looks like, you might not be seeking it. 
You're just seeking to say you believe. And, of course, that's what all those guys that Jesus came up and said, Depart from me, workers of iniquity. They all said they believed in Jesus. But they weren't doing what he said. He goes into great detail telling what they were doing and not doing. And it was all about charity. They were not clothing the hungry in this and uh, taking care of the needy and... Uh, giving drink to the poor and visiting my ministers when they were in prison. And why were they in prison? And well, why were Christians put in prison? Because they wouldn't sign up for the mandatory social welfare of the Roman Empire. That's right. That's why they were, that's why they were persecuted, because they wouldn't sign up. Uh, occasionally they were persecuted for some other reasons, like the, the dentist at Bergamont. He was practicing medicine without a license. He's healing people with the touch. Common amongst real Christians. Not so common amongst modern Christians. And I, I've told the story just recently, but I, I wasn't on the air. I told a long time ago on the air of a guy named Thomas Aquinas. And I don't know if he was really a kingdom guy or not. Uh, he said some true stuff, and he's a smart guy. But uh, he was hanging out with a bunch of guys that uh, really were a long ways away from the kingdom. But one story that was attributed to him is he walked in, and he, he saw the Pope counting money. And this is what the story relates. I, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But this is the way the story goes down. It's written. You can go look it up. And he was counting a bunch of gold and silver on a table. And Thomas Aquinas comes in, and the Pope says to Thomas, he says, No longer can the church say, Silver and gold have I none, Thomas. And uh, Thomas says, Yes, and no longer can it say, Arise and walk. And, of course, this is a reference back to Peter. Silver and gold have I none, but I give you what I got. Arise and walk, you know, and the guy gets up. And he's healed. And so, you know, I mean, this is, this, they're, they're setting a pattern here, folks. <laughs> and we really ought to talk about, you know, all these preachers who, though they were poor, they've made themselves rich because Christ was doing the opposite. Though he was rich, he made himself poor. You know, he gave up his life that you may have life more abundant. He was actually doing some. He told the apostles, do it, feed my sheep. Can't feed the sheep unless somebody gives you the feed. And this is what they were doing. They were taking care of one another. They weren't just visiting and giving them a card. They were actually the ones providing the care for the widows and the orphans, unspotted by the world. And that means undefiled by the world. That that word, Greek word that you see translated into unspotted is coming from a Greek word that means defiled. And how does the world defile your your charity? The world operates by force. What what do they mean by world? They're not talking about the planet. And you didn't get dirt on it. They're not talking about dirt. They're talking about a constitutional order or system of government. That's the Greek word there that they translate into world. It's not the only Greek word translated into world, but it's the one that means constitutional order or system of government. You're supposed to be taking care of all the social welfare, and Bob and Beth don't seem to get that. And they don't get it because, uh, I was trying to think of another B word to call their, the pastor. 
But uh, he's not telling them the gospel. He's not preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which was the gospel of Christ, which was the gospel of Paul. Paul was talking to people that were doing that. And there were people trying to sneak them back into some of the old ways of the Pharisees. And he was saying, no, don't go that way. That legalism. But he, he said that if you're coveting, don't have anything to do with those people coveting. He didn't say, okay, now it's okay to go to men who call themselves benefactors and exercise authority and apply to them for benefits. He didn't say that. And Jesus said it wasn't okay. It wasn't to be that way with you. So if it is that way with you, then you're not following Jesus and you must be a modern Christian if you're claiming to be a Christian because you're not doing what he said. So following this conversation on Facebook about sin, I started pointing out that what modern Christians are doing is sin and nobody's talking against it. And they kept trying to say that I was going off topic. The topic is sin. But of course... Some of them are finding a hard time of getting that what I am posting on this topic of sin because they want to think that the daily sin of do nothing, just believe Christianity, this unrepentant attitude, is not sin. And therefore they want to think they're forgiven when they're not really forgiven because they still want their benefits. Even though they know that the system that is supplying the benefit is totally bankrupt, all the money you paid into the treasury, the Corbin of the world, is gone. It's operating in the red. And the only way they can supply you with even one penny of benefit is to take away from your children and put them in interest-bearing debt for generations to come. But you still want your benefits. I paid in. I still want my benefits. You're unrepentant and unforgiving. You should say, I forgive you. You don't owe me a thing. I'm 65 years old, and I could be collecting Social Security and not going out in the woods and cutting firewood and breaking my thumb, but I'm going to do that rather than putting my children or my neighbor's children deeper into debt by taking benefits. Your congresses won't do that. Your senate won't do that. They just keep spending more money. And not just in America. I don't want to pick on poor United States. I mean, I should say poor, poor United States because it's one of the poorest countries in the world because it's in debt more than almost anybody else. But I say it about New Zealand. Over $50,000 worth of debt for every man, woman, and child in New Zealand. Same in Australia, same in England, same in Brazil, same everywhere. Debt, 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 debt. All human resources, all back entangled again in the elements of the world. All stuck back in the mire like pigs because they wanted benefits at the expense of their neighbor. They wanted a common purse, one purse they wanted. Let's put all our money together and then... We'll appoint men who can exercise authority, and they will provide us with our benefits. Then we're sure that no man is left behind, and everybody has to give. Problem is, their blood is the one who will be taken. Go read Proverbs. Go look up one purse in the Bible. Go read it. I mean, the Bible told you way back in Proverbs that slothful should be un- would be under tribute, and they should be. And that's you guys. You're slothful in what? In the ways of God. 
But anyway, this whole thing started with this idea of the sin of forgiving, but they don't know what sin is, and they keep on sinning, and they're not repenting about it, and so they keep screwing up. But he goes back and he says, many people say that God is not fair. And then Beth came back and said, the word fair is not in the Bible. Life is not fair. I always say, life is tough, and then you die. And of course, this is Facebook. They're not trying to do a dissertation on the reality of things. But then after a little bit, I I see this post coming out because they're on my Facebook page. And I I said, actually, the word fair is in the Bible about 50 times. (laughs) And I'm not picking on them. I know that I just, I'm kind of a technical guy at times. And I thought it was a way of slipping into the conversation. And I point out Romans sixteen eighteen for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Now, I didn't just pick that quote. Actually, God picked that quote, and he showed me it. But I could have picked any one of the other 49 quotes that mentioned the word fair. But I used that one in particular. And uh, and they, they came back, my mistake, should have worded that differently. And, of course, you know, I'm not picking on that. I was, I was trying to get into the conversation. Then, of course, Bob takes it back to the point of the first post was Christ died for our sins. And there's the big question. Now, what's the problem with that? Is it Jesus Christ died? Well, that's, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, for sins? I don't have a problem with that. Our sins? Who's our? <laughs> Is that you and me? Is that, uh, you know, for somebody else? He died so that we might be saved. So he died for our sins in that sense. But are our sins forgiven? Well, not if we haven't repented and forgiven ourselves. Because he said that it doesn't count for those who aren't repentant. Now, am I talking about salvation by works? No, we're still salvation by grace, but you've got to repent. This is why I talk about the prodigal, and why Christ talked about the prodigal son's father running out and meeting him before he got back and started serving. He didn't come all the way back, serve for five years, and then finally his father forgave him. His father forgave him because he turned around, left the ways of the pigmire, and was coming back with the intent of serving. And even before he's done a lick of work, his father forgave him. So, yeah, you're saved by grace. But not without repentance. you got to turn around. you got to go the other way. you got to want to go the other way. And then I write back, Breaking the law as a matter of personal policy is not repenting. Doing the opposite of what Christ said while claiming to believe the gospel of Christ makes one a worker of iniquity and often often under a strong delusion. How can we pray to men who call themselves benefactors to obtain their benefits when we know those benefits are provided by taking from our neighbor and our neighbor's children and our neighbor's children's children at the present stage of things? And then pretend that we love our neighbor or our neighbor's children. How can we say we love Jesus when we are doing the opposite of what he says? And I quote Luke twenty-two twenty-five, And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise 
authority upon them are called benefactors, but ye shall not be so. We can't be that way. We can't pray to the kings or rulers or presidents or prime ministers of other nations. Of the Greeks or of the Romans or of Herod or any of those guys to obtain benefits because they are based on exercising authority. They're based on force. John the Baptist was saying that. The good news is that you can repent and seek the kingdom of God at hand and the righteousness of God, which is to do the same thing by the love alone. But if you choose not to repent and continue to apply for and desire the benefits of men who exercise authority one over the other at the expense of your neighbor, then it would appear that you do not believe in Jesus because you're not doing what he said nor that you love your neighbor, and that you are really just under a strong delusion. That's pretty simple. I say it over and over again. I don't know how many ways to say it. And I say it a lot because I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord, and that's what we need to do. Now, it's, Beth comes back and says, you cannot pick and choose which scriptures you are going to use and obey for your own benefit and ignore others. That is a delusional as well as, and we need to take the Bible as a whole and believe it in its entirety. I absolutely agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. And then she goes on to say, that means using the system one is so against to serve their own belly. Don't use dollars if you are not willing to pay the tax on it. Even Jesus paid the tax used currency to live. Well, absolutely, but Jesus didn't pay the tax. <laughs> you, you have to go read that scripture again. <laughs> Peter said, my master paid the tax, and it was a particular tax that they were asked about. And he said, my master paid the tax, and Jesus took Peter aside. Read the whole thing. Don't just pick and choose. And Peter was taken aside by Jesus and said, Peter, you know, basically, you're mistaken. You know, who pays the tax? And he goes, oh, you go read it. And you'll see that Jesus was rebuking Peter for saying that. He paid the tax. He says, but you said it now. And this is how important keeping your word is to Christ. You said it. So, here, this is what you're going to do. He didn't go reach in his pocket. He didn't use money. Christ didn't use money. He didn't reach in his pocket. He didn't go to Judas Iscariot and say, hey, you got the purse here. we got to pay some taxes here. Can you get some money out of the purse? Jesus said, go down the, to the water and find this fish and look in his mouth. And he found two coins. And he came back and Peter went to give them to Jesus and Jesus didn't even touch them. Wouldn't even take them. He says, you go pay it. You said it, you big mouth fisherman. <laughs> I mean, he was nice about it. Because Jesus was always nice about it. But he says, you go pay the tax. Now, you said wrong, but you said it, so pay it. And I'm absolutely in agreement with that. And in the next show, we're going to talk a little bit about why you do owe the tax. It's not because you use money. People use U.S. notes all over the world. They don't have to pay the tax. Use the, you pay the tax for another reason. And you'll just have to listen to the next show to find out why. <laughs> And until then, may peace be upon your house, and may God be with you.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We've been talking about modern Christians, and we got on the subject of, did Jesus pay the tax? And, of course, Jesus didn't pay the tax, because Jesus didn't owe the tax. And you don't have to pay a tax that you don't owe. But then Peter spoke up and said, yes, my master pays the tax. I mean, even the question that came out of the mouth of the guy, does your master pay the tax, gives you the idea that some people didn't pay the tax. And... Peter was so ignorant of the kingdom at that time, he said it wrong. And uh, Jesus didn't owe the tax. He didn't pay the tax. His kingdom wasn't of the world. He didn't owe them the tax. He was actually the king. He didn't owe a tax. And he had no treaties or contracts with uh, Rome. And we talk about that in other places as exactly what was the status of Rome in Judea at that time. It had not yet conquered Judea. They didn't conquer Judea for years yet. It was invited into Judea, but it wasn't invited in by the rightful king. It was invited in by someone that even Rome said was not the rightful king. So who was the rightful king of Judea? Well, they they said Herod could be for a while, and it was based on the fact that Herod had a lot of support. And uh, But they, there was no king in Judea, in Jerusalem at that time at all, and it hadn't been since before Herod died. Herod Antipas was the king over in another part, over in Galilee. Uh, but the kingdom had already been divided up into three parts. Philip had one, and Herod Antipas had another, but nobody sat on the throne in Jerusalem until Jesus. That's right, Jesus sat on the throne. But Jesus didn't come to rule over you. He came to restore you to the kingdom of God, the right to be ruled by God. He didn't want to rule over you like Moses didn't want to rule over you. He didn't want to exercise authority over you. He didn't want to hit you with his staff. He wanted you to learn how to be free souls under God. You can't do that unless you live by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. If you want to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, you go have at it. But you're going out of the presence of God, and you're going the way of Cain, you're going the way of Nimrod, and you're going the way of Pharaoh. And you're going the way of Caesar, but you're not going the way of Christ. And so, therefore, you are not a Christian. You might be a modern Christian. Because modern Christians who are not real Christians, they do that all the time. 
And they think that's okay. But now, if you owe the tax, if you've made an agreement with unbelievers, people who don't believe in faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty, actually believe you can have a society unless you force people to contribute, those are unbelievers. If you've gone and made an agreement with them, you've got to keep that agreement just like Peter had to pay the tax because he opened his big mouth and said yes. He didn't pay the tax for 12 apostles. He paid a tax for himself and for Jesus. And Jesus provided a way in which he could do that without taking money out of his pocket and not using that money. And besides that, you have to understand how the tax is paid. The tax is paid by Augustus Caesar's money. And his picture's on it. It's because it was his money. He loaned it into circulation on the pretext that you had to pay it back with the same money of like kind, you see. The Federal Reserve notes are loaned into circulation by the Federal Reserve. They're not put out by the government. They're put out by the Federal Reserve. And they're loaned. Now, they have a debt, a surety attached to them. And that's by the seal of the United States. At least Now, the new notes are different than the old notes. Quite a bit different whole procedure has changed, the, the laws and rules, because the United States is bankrupt, been bankrupt for a long time. All the countries are bankrupt. They all went through these government deals where they were working out how they were going to settle the fact that the whole world is bankrupt. And the present currency is totally fiat. It has no value. Even the Federal Reserve admits on their website that Federal Reserve notes have no value. They are fiat. Now, the old notes still were redeemable by some countries, but all the countries have gone bankrupt. Even the Arabs went bankrupt because they over, you couldn't believe they had all this money coming in from oil revenues and they still overspent. <laughs> they were suckered into it. And so they're all caught in this kettle of fish. Even, even Switzerland is screwed up now. But anyway, the point is the whole world, New World Order is here already and, and they've all been bought and sold and the traveling merchants of the earth own it all. But they're going to fight amongst each other and they're going to burn the whole place down and we see the sparks of that kindling before us in the recent economic problems that are you know, spread all over the world. And even China is supposed to have all these debt notes of the United States. They're, they're having the same problems because nobody as a nation is doing what Jesus said. Nobody as a nation, including Israel over there, is doing what Moses said. Jesus and Moses were in agreement. What they're all doing is coveting their neighbor's goods through the agency of men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. In other words, governments like FDR and, and all these other socialists, you know, Hitler. Both FDR and Hitler were members of the Democratic Socialist parties, right? I mean, they're both Democratic Socialists. They both believe that you should be able to take from your neighbor to force their contributions so that you can have benefits for the people, you know, like health care and, and public schools. I mean, that's socialism, right? And it's all taking from your neighbor to provide you with what you want, right? That's socialism. That's not Christianity. And, you know, it's amazing. You just go back 200 years, almost all the social welfare in America was done through faith, hope, and charity. And most of that was done through the churches. Isn't that amazing? And and people weren't starving. As a matter of fact, when they decided to do that, rather than do it through the government, starvation stopped. 
That's right. You go back to the colonies, Jamestown, you know, we've talked about this, Jamestown and, and the pilgrims. They all did this idea where they were going to force the contributions. Everybody had to put their 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 food produce into a common house, into a common fund. Everybody had to do that. And then from each according to his ability and to each according to his need. That was their policy. That's socialism. It was all going to be controlled by the government. And they starved every year. Half the pilgrims died the first year. The year, several years later, they finally, the pilgrims and Jamestown, without cell phones, decided on the same time, we're not going to do it that anymore. Private property. Capitalism. You produce it, it's yours. Everything you produce, everything you grow, it's yours. you got to take care of yourself. No guarantees. No socialism. We're not going to do that anymore. It's not working. It took half the people to die before they realized that. Year after year, half the people died. Fortunately, there were lots more coming. And fortunately, they finally figured it out. Socialism brings starvation and, and destruction. Unfortunately, America doesn't know that anymore. Australia doesn't know that anymore. New Zealand doesn't know that anymore. And so, it's coming again. That's all there is to it. I I can't do anything about it. History repeats itself. But you got a choice. Yeah, you got a choice. You can decide what part of history you want to play the part of. You want to be the Christians who actually thrived during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire? Or you want to be the Roman Empire? And we were just having a discussion the other day about all this this overwhelming interest in zombies and vampires and werewolves. And, you know, even before it was going to be Halloween. <laughs> I mean, everywhere we have this uh, infatuation with these zombie movies. And what is that? It's because most of the world are zombies. <laughs> the zombie apocalypse is here already. They're mindless people going around devouring one another. That's right. They don't want to eat. Other zombies as much as they want to eat people who are not zombies. And, of course, that's what was happening with the Christians. You see, all the Romans had become zombies, and they started devouring the Christians, eating them up, destroying them. Now, the modern infatuation with zombie movies is you want to be able to shoot all these guys when they come to eat you. And that would be good if you had a Holy Spirit gun with you. (laughs) You were going to shoot them with the Holy Spirit when they come at you. But you know you're surrounded by zombies. You don't want to become one. And you want to be able to fight them off. You know, see, zombies are socialists. Socialists want to devour you. They want to, they want to take a bite out of you. I mean, the Bible even talks about that. Devouring one another. Taking a bite out of one another. Taking a bite out of your neighbor. They talk about that. That's, that's, socialism is zombieism. And if you don't want to be a zombie, you have to start living by love. That's it. Forget about saying you believe in Jesus. Start doing it. So, yeah, you can't pick and choose the scripture you want to follow. Why are you in the bondage of Egypt? What was the bondage of Egypt? 20% of everything you earned had to go to the government. Half, One-fifth of the year, you had to work for the government. My dad, I asked him, I says, who did he work for? I asked who he worked for. I cover this in the book, Covenants of the Gods. That's that's me as a little boy, seven years old, asking my dad who he works for. Because he was asking me questions like, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> so I asked him, well, who do you work for? 
And he says, well, he didn't realize what he was saying to me at the time. You know, this had an effect on me because <laughs> I remembered it. He says, well, until July 1st, I'm working for the government. After that, I'm working for myself because he was in a 50% income tax bracket. And my dad was a lawyer, so he knew the law. He understood how it worked. There wasn't anything he thought he could do about it. Well, he did do something about it. He raised me up. <laughs> and I'm here preaching to you the straight way. You're working for the Pharaoh. You're for 20, 30, 40, 50% of the time, you're working for the Pharaoh. Because you're back in the bondage of Egypt. But it's worse with you because it's not just 20%. So anyway, that's why you owe taxes, not because you use Federal Reserve notes. The reason you don't own your land, that's because you use Federal Reserve notes. <laughs> and because you signed up for the system of Corbin. We don't call it Corbin anymore. We don't call it the Corbin of the Pharisees anymore. We call it Social Security. You see, that when you sign up for Social Security, which is voluntary act, I mean, it's voluntary for your parents. Your parents, most of you were sold by your parents to the, to the government in order to obtain benefits. They said, well, you have to pay in all these taxes, unless, of course, you want to sell us your children, in which case we will deduct the amount that you owe. We'll let you take money off that if you want to sell us your children. We're not going to... Let you take money off for nothing. You've got to sell us your children, the labor of your children. Now, you go back in Roman law, and you can, you can read all this in our uh, article on Call No Man Father, which Jesus said, Call No Man on Earth Father. And he actually used the word patri or patronus. He said, Call No Man on Earth Father. Patri. And that's a Latin word, even though in the Greek text you see the word patri. It's also a Greek word. So they knew what they were talking about. The Roman emperors and all the senators were addressed as father. Patri. The Roman emperor was called Patronus, our father. So if you were going to pray to our father who art in Rome to get his benefits, even though you knew he exercised authority in order to obtain them, our father FDR, you know, then you were not praying like Christ said to pray. And you were not going to his church you're going to FDR's church and your ministers the ministers of FDR and they collected the contributions of the people by force John the Baptist didn't do that he was operating by charity and the early church was operating by charity and when Rome was going bankrupt because they had imposed uh, universal health care they outlawed foreign religions, and Christianity was a foreign religion because it was not a 501c3 incorporated church of the Roman Empire. And it operated, and, and they write. Back in those days, they write. Guys like Justin writes that this is how we do it. He wrote the emperor and said, this is how we do it. We gather once a week, and those that have share with those that don't have enough. And we take care of our needy ourselves by faith, hope, and charity. That's what he was telling the emperor. The emperor did it by force. And modern Christians do it by force. Oh, yeah, they give charity. I mean, they go, and this was something that came up in this whole Facebook conversation. They said, well, they know lots of churches that, you know, help the poor and the needy and all this stuff. But most all the people in those churches are on social welfare. I mean, they send the kids to public school. Their parents are taken care of by social uh, security. If you're crippled or uh, disabled, that's taken care of by the government. What the church does is just token stuff. 
you know, so that they feel good, you know, that they, so that they, they can say, yeah, we're charitable. We sent 50 bucks to Africa. Now, I know these two people, at least, uh, well, I know them both really well, but I know one of them is unbelievably charitable, and I, I won't go into the details because you might figure out who they are. But they are really very giving. But they just don't know the whole gospel yet. And I blame that on their pastor, who is really a great guy. <laughs> but he isn't reading my books. <laughs> he needs to. And he needs to get all that seminary training out of his head. Because he's not preaching the whole gospel. And you're running out of time. You're going to have to start really doing what Christ said and saying what Christ said to say. And you're going to have to start rebuking people that aren't doing it. And say, you know, we need to do this. We need to go this way. We need to repent. So that we can really be the church established by Jesus Christ. And not just saying we're the church established by Jesus Christ. Because that's really important. Because Christ, you know, if Christ comes and you're still not doing it, He's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You know, you've got to make the straight way. You know, I go on to say, we should pay all our taxes. We owe. Even when we are, are paid cash or something we sell. See, like if, if you were to sell something for, say, 900 bucks, and then you told the person that you didn't want to check, you wanted to get paid in cash for that thing, so you didn't have to report it. You're sinning against God and Caesar. Because you owe the tax. You have to pay the tax. And I always say that. You have to pay the tax. I'm not against paying taxes. I don't tell anybody not to pay the taxes they owe. What I say is seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, there are people who don't owe as much tax, like Jesus didn't owe the tax, because he had no agreement. He was... Idiotis, what they call idiotis. He was unregistered. They were going to register him, but they had to leave town quick because the men were out to kill him. And so he didn't get registered. He asked, actually left the country for a while. And he never got registered. Yeah, that's right. He never got registered. And that was important that he never got registered because that made he, he had no agreement with the unbelievers. And his... His parents were helped out by, you know, kings and what have you, so that they didn't have to depend upon that social welfare system. And he was free. And actually, he was rich, too. But he he gave all that away so that he could be a minister baptized by John the Baptist, who was a minister of the temple, who had left the temple because it was so corrupt, and went out into the desert and was baptizing people at the laver of the Jordan River instead of the laver of the temple. Because if you got baptized there, you would be registered with the scribes. And he wasn't doing that. He was operating by charity. So when you got baptized, his baptism, you had to take care of one another. And eventually we see in John, and I go through this in the Facebook, we see in John where those parents of the blind man say that you know they didn't want to profess Jesus because they knew that anybody who professed Jesus would be cast out of the synagogue. The synagogues were tied to the temple. And the temple was a government building. And the temple had the treasury of Corbin. I mean, the word Corbin is translated Corbin. It's not really translated. It's kind of alliteration. Uh, not even, you know, it's a, they just put the word Corbin there instead of translating it, like they do with the word Eucharist. And so you don't always know what it means, but it means sacrifice. But your sacrifices went into a treasury, a depository. And that depository 
paid for the social welfare of the people, which was distributed through the synagogues, which were also government synagogues. See, it's not like today. Well, actually, it is like today, but your, your synagogue today is the welfare office. You know, the churches are just to make you feel good about going down and praying to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. So anyway, in talking about all this, Bob says, I see we are going to deviate from the topic. And of course, we never did. We're talking about sin, and that's the topic. Point being, we are all sinners. We are all in the same boat. Well, nice metaphor, and you could put it that way, certainly. But I point out, no. There are two boats. We are all sinners, and... One of those boats is for the repentant sinners, and the other one is for the unrepentant sinners. <laughs> okay, uh, the the repentant sinners are seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The unrepentant sinners are still praying to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Now they may both be call, calling themselves Christians, but one is going to be told, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So, we are all in a sea of sin. We are all sinners. But we are not all repentant sinners. And so, therefore, we are not all in the boat with Christ. And you ministers, you're going to need to learn how to walk on water. <laughs> you can't stay in the boat all the time. But uh, And, of course, you can take these metaphors too far. This division appears by according to Christ's words, to have to do with the way in which we take care of the needy of society. Because that's what he goes through, you know, that you you know, you know fed the hungry and you, and you visited me when I was in prison and all, and all this. And he said, when did we do this? He says, when you did it to the least of my brother and you do it also to me. And so when we take care of one another, we're not talking about helping every drug addict on the street corner. That's not charity. The chances are you're actually weakening him by giving him charity. He needs to get sobered up and get get straight. You shouldn't even have anything to do with him, probably. You know, it's a case-by-case basis, so you have to figure that out. Pure religion is taking care of the needy by charity. Alone. Rather than by forcing contributions from your neighbor to provide social welfare, as is the policy of those who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority. I mean, that's the way the government works. That's the way FDR wanted to do it. Before that, we didn't do it that way. In most cases, uh, we did have public schools. But even back then, before FDR, most of the public schools were supported by private donations as well as government. It was a spotting of our faith when we started depending on taxes. And, and I can take you back to the late 1800s and uh, mid-1800s where congressmen like Davy Crockett is explaining this, that we're not to be doing that. That's not charity. When the government takes it over, it's no longer charity. And a nation that doesn't live by charity and the perfect law of liberty will go into bondage and slavery and, and despotism. And so you guys think, oh, we're going to go out and vote a different guy into office and then everything will be hunky-dory. Forget about that. That's, that's goofy. That's crazy. Uh, that's insane. You keep doing it over and over again. And it, how's that working out for you? That's not going to change anything. You have to change. This is why I say history repeats itself. You have a choice. This is why I say all roads lead to Rome. 
But all roads lead to the kingdom of heaven. You just got to pick your direction. This is your choice. You got to say, well, I'm going to go to the pigmire because they really got great benefits there. They got a special on corn cobs this week. Or I'm going to turn around and go back to my father's house and be a servant there and help provide for the needy of my society, my father's society, by faith, hope, and charity. This is your choice. You can do it by covet means or you can do it by love. Now, it's, it's your choice. And that choice will determine where you are in history. That will take care of your future. Because it will take, but it's done in the presence. You have to actually be a doer of the word in the present of your life. This is why we created the network, the living network. So that you can meet other souls that are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And start taking care of one another. You can't really do that on an email group. I mean, what are you doing? Sending pictures of food back and forth to each other? You know, I mean, we always tease my wife about her Facebook. Because, you know, she has it open and, and she's going down and, you know, she's keeping in contact with all her friends and relatives and everything. And it is full of food recipes. <laughs> we we say, we get fat just looking at her Facebook. Because <laughs> they do a lot of that. And that's fine. But... We can't have an email church. A church has to have living congregations and ministers who are living stones of Christ who are actually preaching Christ and doing what Christ said and doing what the early church was clearly doing. And figure you will be persecuted, but at least you'll be persecuted for righteousness. And see, if you if the churches were doing what Christ said, there would be no health care. Uh, if all the people that were claiming to be Christians, there would be no compulsory health care because health care would already be managed in the church. And, you know, believe it or not, the Amish have been doing this for a long time. And they're exempt from this new system. But it's because they've been doing it for a long time. And they can prove they've been doing it. Your modern Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, Catholic, Jehovah Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, what is it, Messianic Jew. They're not doing it. They haven't been doing it. Oh, they've, some of them haven't feasted tabernacles, but they don't even know why the Feast of Tabernacles was there. They, they're not doing it. So, therefore, they're not exempt. And they need to repent. Because the church has been around for 2,000 years. We precedented this in. And the church is exempt. But you gotta start doing it. You gotta start following Christ. You gotta start doing the Word. You won't do it enough, but if you're not gonna leave the pigmire of the false prophet, hey, you're gonna still stink like a pig. And God's gonna say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. So anyway, we'll talk more about how to do that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Yeah, one of the things that was in the original uh, Steve post was that God's grace extends to all. And, of course, God's grace does extend to all, but all cannot receive it. Because unless you repent and turn around, you don't get it. (laughs) Unless you forgive, neither are you forgiven. So extending doesn't mean you receive it. 
And people say, well, all you have to do is believe. Well, you actually have to believe in what Christ said. Now, Bob writes in here, no matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, and no matter what you were doing while you were there. And he, that's evident, he has that in quotes. I don't know where he's getting that. God will save you if you trust in the finished work of Christ for your salvation. There are no big sins in the dispensation of grace. They're all sins. Okay, I don't have it all here, what he said, but when he's saying no matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, these are all past tense. It does not apply to no matter what you are doing or want to continue doing. (laughs) If you trust in the finished work of Christ, or say you trust in the finished work of Christ for your salvation, you're not saved. If you're still doing what he said not to do, you don't really trust in the finished work of Christ. You don't even trust in Christ. You don't even know Christ. You're not even paying attention to what Christ said. You're just doing your own thing, saying you're saved. And this is why he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And how many times did Christ say something to the effect that not those who say they trust in the finished work of Christ, but those who actually trust in Christ? Again, Christ warned us that we may be deceived. That we may be deceived into thinking that new uh, or thinking that they knew Christ. I was just seeing here. I got a typo in here. <laughs> I'm typing with a broken thumb. You got to give me a break here. And I can't read half my keys. And a lot of times letters don't show up like K and F. But anyway, so you're going to find those typos in there. But uh, Christ, we have to actually trust in the real Christ. We can't make up Christ in our mind and then worship that image of Christ that we've made in our mind. It has to be the real Christ. And you know it's the real Christ when you start seeing Christ manifested in what a man does. If you see the man still going out and lusting and and coveting and murdering, uh, but he says, hey, I believe in the finished work of Christ, uh, he's not saved. He's a liar. <laughs> he's lying to himself. He's lying to you. He's lying to God. He's lying to everybody from such day away. And Paul tells you that. I mean, it's not rocket science. But anyway, I go on to say, Christ clearly judged those he brought in to the kingdom and those he told to depart based on the nature of what they were doing. Over and over again, Jesus, John, James told us that we will know them by their fruits, by what they're doing, as to whether or not they believe. Judge me by my faith. Or by my works. You know, judge my faith by my works. Why? Because faith is, that's another word they changed the definition. You have to go read our article on faith. That faith is probity. It is uh, something that compels you to do righteousness. If you're not compelled to do righteousness, then you don't really have faith. You'll be wishy-washy. Well, I know I shouldn't, you know, commit adultery, but (laughs) she's really cute, you know. And so, therefore, I, you know probity, conviction, you're not going to do it. And when you do do it, no, you lack faith. 
That's why you, you do it. It's because you don't really have faith. That's why you can't heal one another by touch or by your shadow. That's why you have to, you know, a lot of this healing that you see going on, like I said, this gyration healing that you see where everybody's jumping around and shouting and getting everybody, the whole crowd worked up and everybody's getting in a frenzy, you know. I mean, this, I mean, you can go down and watch this. It's voodoo. And who do voodoo? These churches do voodoo. And what they're actually doing is robbing the energy out of those people who get all excited and using it to heal the other people. It's not God who's healing them. It's this emotional energy that, and these are, these are vampires who do this. They're sucking the life out of the crowd and then using that to heal some. And you'll find that a lot of the people that go to those deals, They'll be, they'll just sleep like a log that night. They'll be absolutely exhausted. They won't get up on time. They'll be t- totally drained. Well, guess what, folks? They were drained. Psychic vampires sucking the life out of them. And that's why we have these movies now. It's because psychic, psychic vampires are real. Spiritual vampires are real. They're stealing the life from, uh, from the weak and, and giving it to others. Problem is, is that this will eventually lead to more and more cancers along with all the other things that you're doing. But real healing is very peaceful. And nobody has to jump around and gyrate and get all excited. It's just faith. You're not doing it. You're not making everybody else in the crowd do it. It's just happening. If it's not happening to you, well, hey, maybe you're not following the gospel of the kingdom of God. What does it say in Matthew seven twenty one? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Jesus said that. He didn't say, not every Jew. He says, not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of so you gotta be doing the will of the Father. You gotta be heading back. You gotta be that prodigal son. Or Matthew seven twenty four. He goes on to say, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. He's talking about doing again. What does Jesus think we're saved by works? Is he crazy? No, he's telling you how it works. How it works. You have to repent and start trying to do it. You know, you, that's the whole story, again, of the prodigal son. He didn't get back to his father's house and work for six months, and then his father forgave him. He forgave him because he repented, turned around, walked away from the corn cobs and the pig mire, and said, hey, you know, I, I had it better off with the Lord, my father. I'm going to go back and be my father's servant. He didn't say, I'm going to go back and hit my father up for another uh, inheritance. And then go off and do the same thing again. So, everyone that heareth these sayings and doeth them. John 9.31 Now we know that God heareth not sinners. Whoa. But I thought all those sinners were forgiven. Here's not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will. Conditions. Conditions. Him. He heareth. None of this is saying we are saved by works. But if we are doing contrary to Christ, contrary to the will of God, 
and we're doing it by policy, such as coveting our neighbor's goods, sitting and eating with a ruler with a big appetite for benefits, being slothful in the way, not keeping his commandments, then we're not saved. And even though he died for us, died for the forgiveness of our sins, we're not the our sins group that gets forgiven. We're the sin that we're the group that are told to depart from me, workers of iniquity. These are the prodigal sons who never left the pigmire, never tried to get their way back to serving their father, never repented. They're out. Sorry, you're out. You don't get to come in. You're not accepting the kingdom. But we say we're Christians. We say we believe in the finished work of Christ. We should be led into the kingdom. Knock, 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 knock. You foolish virgins. He's not going to open the door to you. This is your time to repent. Start gathering together with the purposes of Christ and the, and the will of God in your heart. John fourteen fifteen. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Commandment of Christ. Christ says, keep my commandments. Love one another as I have loved you. On and on. Be doers of the word. On and on. But we got these do-nothing preachers who are going around saying, oh, you don't have to do anything. Just believe in me. Oh, geez, I really love that kind of gospel. Here's a hundred dollars. Tell me more about how I'm already saved and I don't have to do anything. And then you catch your pastor out there fornicating and committing adultery and you wonder why your country's going to hell in a handbasket. It's a hell of a thing that we're doing. That's right. It's a hell of a thing that we're doing. Because we're doing what hell wants you to do, which is nothing that Christ tells you he wants you to do. And that means you're going to hell in a handbasket. And you are smearing dung on the gospel. And you shouldn't be doing that. And your pastors that are doing it, that have become brute beasts and have delivered you into bondage by preaching you half a gospel, there's a hot place in hell for them. You know, that's the prophets of the beast. You see? Now, I mentioned Social Security earlier. You know, you, you say, well, you have to get a Social Security number. Well, you don't have to. It's a voluntary thing. But you, you almost have to have it to live. Because they passed a law that you got to have it to get a, a contractor's license, a marriage license, a driver's license. To get any kind of license whatsoever, you got to have a Social Security number. They passed that law. It's Title 42, Section 666. I'm not kidding you. Go look it up. Title 42, Section 666. you got to have the number. you got to have it in your head. Memorize it. Or you got to have the card in your hand. And if you don't have that number, you can't buy or sell in their world. No, you still get around. I, you, they hardly let you get a bank account. Now, actually, there's still a place for the church in this. But this is, you've gotten to this point because for the last 100 years plus, you haven't been doing what Christ said to do. You haven't been doing the will of the Father. Now, it's time to repent and start doing the righteousness. You still have to pay your taxes. But you're going to have to start gleaning in the field at night for your benefits. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments 
and abide in his love. He's telling you. But if you're going to keep coveting your neighbor's goods and praying to men who call themselves benefactors and making these men the fathers of your life, the sugar daddies of your life, then he's not going to hear your prayers. And you're not going to have the protection of his love and you're not going to receive his grace even though he died in hopes that you might repent and be saved. But you got to repent. First John 5.2 By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments of not coveting. Of actually actively taking care of one another. First John 5.3 Next verse down. For this is the love of God that we keep the commandments and his commandments are not grievous. This is First John. This is an epistle. This is after the resurrection. What is, does John, doesn't John know that we're not saved by works? Yes, he knows we're not saved by works. But he also knows that we have to repent and seek to do the will of God. And we have to understand that coveting our neighbor's goods is breaking the commandments. And desiring benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other and take away from our neighbor is not love. And it's disobeying Christ's words and so you're still going to need help how are you going to get it if you can't go to them because the churches aren't doing it well they aren't the church they're the modern church you want the real church you got to come together not with the intention of getting benefits come with the intention of being the benefactors who do not exercise authority come with the intention of being the prodigal son To serve in your father's house. And then God will bless you with his love and his benefits. Because you're going to need that. Because you've gone so far away, you're going to need miracles galore. I mean, you have wasted away your time. But the door is not yet closed yet either. You have time to repent. But I wouldn't waste any of that time if I were you. I would turn around right now and get busy. Remember the ant, O sluggard. Get busy. Come together. Form congregations of record connected with other congregations of record so that you become that network. That's why they had the Feast of Tabernacles. Is to shore up those connections. How do we do that? By guys going around and policing, oh, your congregation hasn't given enough to the church lately, so, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna ostracize you. No. The connections are based on love. And that love is families coming together and, and uniting with other families and other congregations and, and daughters and sons and cousins being in different congregations and so that we become a peculiar people bound together by love not by contract but anyway uh, Bob comes back a number of times and quotes Paul Romans Corinthians he's always quoting Paul time after time after time I quote Jesus and he quotes Paul They shouldn't have that distinction all the time. I can quote Paul, too. But I know Paul. There aren't two Gospels. Paul preached the Gospel of Christ. And he was preaching 
to Christians who are not trusting in the Corbin of the Pharisees or the Corbin of Rome, the social welfare that was run by men who exercise authority. Paul was preaching to Romans and Christians and Greeks who had returned to the perfect law of liberty and were taking care of one another. When they visited the poor, it was to take care of the poor. They came with sacks of food. They came with bandage. They came with healing. They were prodigal sons who came back to serve in their father's house. This is who he's talking to. Well, I can quote from the epistles too. You know, I mean, you have to want to leave the pig mire. As it says in Second Peter chapter 2. But if it happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog has turned to his own vomit and the pig to his mire. What is that? That, that's where we're at. There's just not two Gospels. There's one Gospel. Paul preached it. John preached it. Peter preached it. Christ preached it. Tell you the truth, Moses preached it. <laughs> he spoke to the rock. He, he wasn't to use force to get the flow of contributions of the people. That, that's where your church is. is where you take care, That's where your religion is. Where you take care of the needy of your society. And if you do it with the religion of force, then you're not doing it with the religion of Christ. But a Christian is a follower of Christ. A true Christian is a follower of Christ. A modern Christian is following his own philosophies and private interpretation. Is not doing what Christ said. And this is what I'm pointing out. I'm talking about sin. I'm staying on topic. Someone who is a follower of Christ loves Christ, loves his ways, and rejects the ways. Of the of the unbelievers, the modern Christian, what Christians uh, want to believe? Boy, I see more typos. Want to believe they trust in uh, Christ, but they actually worship the image of Christ. They created in their own minds. This is why Second Timothy three one says, "This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come." For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous. Yeah, covetous. Boasting that they're Christians and that they believe in the finished work of Christ. Proud of their faith in the image that they have created. But blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. And they'll find children who are disobedient in that. Unthankful. Unholy. Without natural affections. They they will think that it's okay to take from your neighbor, send men to your neighbor's house to force their contribution. They'll think it's okay to run their neighbor's children and their children into debt as long as they get the benefits that they paid in for other people because they trust in the men who exercise authority to provide those benefits. And they shouldn't be doing that. They should be building and building their foundation on the rock of faith. They shouldn't be false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good and that are trying to do this by faith, hope, and charity. They should not be traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than the lovers of God and having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. What power? The power to take care of the needy of your society with faith, hope, and charity. We have that power if we will seek it. 
This is the power of Christ. He showed you. He could feed thousands if you have faith. You say, well, the church can't handle that. It would bankrupt us overnight. You're already bankrupt spiritually. For this is the sort are they which creep into houses and lead into captivity. Silly women and men laden with the covetousness of benefits. Lusting after those benefits. Ever learning, studying the Bible, 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 and never able to come to the knowledge of the simple truth. That unless you're living by love, you're not living according to the ways of Christ. If you're still living by force, you have gone the ways of Balaam and the ways of Bozer and have forsaken the right ways, as it says in Second Peter 2.15. The right way is by charity, not by force. What was the ways of Balaam? They loved the wages, the benefits of unrighteousness. What is unrighteous? Forcing the contributions of the people. That's unrighteous. Always has been, always will be, hasn't changed. Christ doesn't say it's okay now. I forgave you all those sins and I forgive you all the sins that you're about to commit. No, you have to repent. Again, the early church took care of all the social welfare of the people. Even in America. That's what we did. In America, 200 years ago, we were doing that. All the social welfare of the people. There was no socialism in early America. Because they realized if we go socialist, we will starve. They learned that early on. Now, there were people that came along wanted to do this even had some public schools early on in Massachusetts but even those public schools were mostly supported by free will offerings but it was no longer unspotted by the world that word world means constitutional order or system of government you're not supposed to be taking care of one another through that means and you can see how far we've gone away from that we've got a long ways to go back so we have our repentance cut out for us And the work is cut out for us too. But it's the way of God. Life is work. Work is life. I know at least one of these people understand that. They're workers. We should work. Slothful should be under tribute. We should work. But work at what? Work at following Christ. Living the ways of Christ. Walking in the ways of Christ. This is where we're supposed to be. And the modern Christian, which is, again, a euphemism for those who say they believe but don't really believe, have a chance to repent if someone would tell them the truth and live by the perfect law of liberty and the love of Christ. Until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.